As always, it's a privilege uh, to be here with you this morning, whether you're here in our worship center, over in the chapel, or watching online. It is just such a privilege to be able to worship the Lord together, to be able to explore His Word together. Uh, and this morning, we're continuing our summer series, His Name. Uh, in the Old Testament, 32 names of God are given to us, uh, at least 32. And out of those 32 names, what do we learn? We learn the attributes of God. We learn the character of God, that each name is a descriptive name of who God is. And as we are, are introduced to him through these names, we're introduced to who he is and allows us to grow closer to him. And I'm excited this morning, uh, one of those names of God that we find in the Old Testament is Jehovah Jireh. And Jehovah Jireh means the Lord provides, the Lord provides. And the first time we're introduced to God is Jehovah Jireh is in Genesis 22, and so we're going to be looking at that text this morning. And at God's direction, we find in Genesis 22 that God gives Abraham an amazing challenge. He asks him to sacrifice his own son, Isaac. Now, before we look at that challenge, let's look at a backstory in Abraham's life. Abraham wasn't unfamiliar with challenges given to him by God. Uh, the first was to leave that which was familiar to him to go to a land of promise. And, and we're, we read the text of, of when God gives Abraham this challenge, and he says, just go and I'll lead you. How many of you feel like that's your life passage as well, right? Like you might have had plans, but you realize it was like, no, 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 just go and I'll lead you. And that's what Abraham does. And, and what God says to Abraham is, is quite profound. He says, listen, I'm going to make you an individual who will be so blessed that you'll bless others. In fact, even beyond that, he says, God says to Abraham, I'm going to make you into a nation, and the nation that comes from you will be a blessing to the nations of the world. But there's one problem. Abraham and his wife Sarah are way beyond childbearing years. And so in order to become a nation, guess what you got to start with? Children, you guys got it. And so God does something miraculous through him and his wife, and they give him this son of promise. So Abraham understood that, that God's promise, that he'd be a father of great nations, was to come through the son of promise, Isaac. And so in order for Abraham to be blessed to be a blessing, in order for this nation that comes from Abraham to be blessed in such a way to be a blessing, Isaac has to flourish. And here's the dilemma. And we find it in Genesis 22. We'll start at verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I should tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there in worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. 
He said, Behold, the, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid wood in order to inbound, in the order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, by the way, that's a powerful account. How many of you agree? Any parents out there? Powerful account. Any children out there? Powerful account. Some have misunderstood this account, actually, to be Abraham sort of embracing the pagan practices of the Canaanites, but this isn't true. The text makes it very clear, very accurately, that God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham. Now, there are those who, who really have a hard time even understanding why God would test anyone. The idea that God would put someone to the test is not easily grasped by those outside and even some inside the church. But we have to understand that our faith is not lived in a vacuum. Our faith isn't lived in a vacuum. It, it's, its strength is displayed really in the crucible of life. And the Lord is providing Abraham with an exquisite opportunity to strengthen and display his faith. But place yourself in, in Abraham's shoes or sandals for a minute. He's a dad. The son was a blessing provided to him in his old age, a literal miracle. I, I mean, think about it. Abraham was asked to measure his faith in relation to his parental love for his son. No one can take such a test lightly. In addition, Abraham's parental challenge was a deeply spiritual one. God had revealed to Abraham that this son of promise, this, this son Isaac, would be the one from whom the nations of the world would be blessed. So it's not just this love that, that Abraham has for his son that's tested, but Abraham's belief in God's divine plan. Abraham understood that if the promise of God were to be fulfilled, then, Eric, then Isaac's life would have to be preserved. Here's, here's Abraham's dilemma. The promise of God required that Isaac live, but the command of God demanded that Isaac die. For three days, think about it, for three days, Abraham and, and Isaac journeyed. Can you imagine their conversations? What did they talk about for three days? What, what, were, what was the context of the conversation? How, how did Abraham even have the strength to talk to his son knowing what he was going to do? And when Isaac questions his father about the offering, what does he say? God will provide. God will provide. We discover that Abraham's faith was not an example of reckless abandonment or some irrational behavior. Uh, he wasn't uncaring or unloving or callous toward Isaac when they were heading to participate in the sacrifice of, of his son. Abraham's faith was steadfast. It, it was anchored. It, it was anchored in the fact that God is faithful and true to his promises. That's what Abraham knew. Abraham had faith that God would make a way. In fact, Abraham pressed on, not always knowing the why, the where, and the when, but always knowing the who. Camp there for a minute. Followers of Christ, camp there for a minute. Because that's a key to the Christian life. We don't always know the, the why, the where, and the when, but we do know the who. 
In fact, if we were to fast forward to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews has an interesting passage in, in what we call the sort of the heroes of the faith passage in Hebrews. And it speaks of Abraham. And it says of Abraham that Abraham believed that if he were to kill Isaac, that God would bring him back from the dead. Now, where did he get such a crazy idea? There had never been a resurrection. But that's the faith he had in God. Eventually, the Lord leads Abraham and Isaac to Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah means the Lord provides. The Lord provides. It's located in a ridge that extends throughout Jerusalem from Mount Zion to the west to, to, uh, to the Mount of Olives to the east. And, and on this mountain, Solomon would later build a temple to the Lord. Think about it. This was the place where Isaac was symbolically sacrificed. Sacrifices would be made Years later, many years later, when the temple was built there by Solomon and those, those sacrifices offered up to the Lord. And of course, they all point to the one and only sacrifice of, of God's very own son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for the salvation of the world. This is the place that God leads Abraham and Isaac to. Once Abraham and Isaac arrive in the place that God has shown him, he busies himself when he builds, an, he builds an altar to sacrifice. And he's unsure of what will happen, but he's sure that God will be faithful. And, and we need to bear in mind that Abraham's 137 years old. 137 year old. Anyone here close to that? <laughs> Wouldn't admit it if you were probably. 137 years old. His son's a teenager. This means that Abraham didn't force his son to do anything. I don't care how strong you are at 137 years old, you're not stronger than a teenager. And so there's some faith that's happening here in Isaac's life as well that we don't often talk about, but we certainly should acknowledge. See, Isaac allows himself to be bound and laid on the altar. To be honest, I don't know what takes more faith. Getting ready to sacrifice your son or being the son who's ready to be sacrificed. Then the account continues, verse 10. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Now there's a moment. There's a moment. Abraham raises up his knife to sacrifice Isaac. Picture Abraham, knife raised high, breaking, heartbreaking, faith being stretched. And at the very moment when he's about to sacrifice his son, God intervenes and there's this triumph of timing. And it's this triumph of the timing that leads me to, to this understanding that God is, is usually does not act too soon or too late, but he's always just in time. Have anyone here ever wished God was a little early? But he's never too early. He's always right on time. And Abraham was taken to the point of no return, not only for God to see, but listen, God, God knew Abraham's heart, but it was for Abraham to see the faith he had for himself. Not to mention Isaac witnessing all this from a very uncomfortable position, by the way. Then catch this. I love this part of the account. Verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. 
So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, and it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Did you catch what happened? Abraham could not have known when he told Isaac that God would provide the sacrifice how God would provide. He had no idea. He had faith in who God is. He had faith in God's promises. He had faith in how God works. But he didn't know how any of that was going to take place. Picture this. As Abraham and Isaac were walking up one side of the mountain, God had already provided the lamb or or the ram, so to speak, on the other side of the mountain. Abraham and Isaac couldn't see the ram coming up the other side, but God had already provided, was already working it out as they were walking on this journey. I wonder, have you ever been in a situation where you're going up the mountain? Maybe one of those those dark challenges in your life, and you just have no idea how God's going to work. You can't see it because God's working on the other side of the mountain providing. And Abraham had faith that this was going to happen, but he was the, the Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. The God who provides. For you and I today, we can know that God is Jehovah Jireh. Not just for Abraham, not just for Isaac, but for each and every one of us. He's the God who provides. He provides for our daily needs. In Matthew 6, we we see how Jesus tells his followers not to worry about food or clothes, but that God who cares for, for nature will also care for them. Will also care for them. I can't help when I read this account, but to think back to, to when I was in seminary and our hot water heater went. And, and I've shared this story before, but the hot water heater went in our trailer. And, and, and uh, one thing you have to know about me is I have skills, but, but fixing things is not one of them. Like I have the same skill my father had, especially when it comes to plumbing, which was when I try to help, I make it worse. But when you have no money, what do you do? You try. And so we took some money that we had put aside for other bills, by the way, uh, to put into a hot water heater, not knowing how we were going to pay those bills if we put money into the hot water heater. And and so I went to Home Depot, and I met a gentleman there, by the way, of God, uh, because he said to me, you're going to be back many times today, but I'll be here until five. (laughs) And he was true to his word. I was back many times that day. I would do a step, and I'd go back and say, now what do I do? And he talked me through it. And lo and behold, the miracle of miracle, maybe not as big as this one, but it was big for me at the time. It worked. It worked. No leaks. It worked. Later that day, Krista came in. And she said, Craig, we got got something from our church. It wasn't my church. It was her home church, actually, that she had grown up in. And the missions committee had had more money than they knew what to do with that year. And so they were praying, and we were laid upon their heart as as, as a family who had gone in to seminary, and they sent a little bit of money that they said that they just wanted to bless us with for exactly the amount of the hot water heater. That may not seem like a big deal for you, but when you don't have much, a little's a lot. Couldn't have seen it when we started in the process, but could see it then. I mean, think about how God provides. In addition to to this, uh, even more important, God provides for our salvation. I I think of, of, of John the baptizer when he sees his cousin Jesus in John 1.29, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? 
Especially when you read in Romans 6, 23, first part of that verse, that the wage of sin is death. All of us have sinned. All of us deserve death. But Jesus, the Lamb of God, God's one and only Son, comes as a sacrifice, providing for those who believe everlasting life so that we can celebrate the second part of verse 6, 23 of Romans. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God, know the bad news before you can embrace the good news. The bad news, the wage of sin is death, the good news, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I mean, think about it. We, we read further in John 3.16, a verse that I never tire sharing. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes him will not perish but have what? Eternal life. Eternal life. God didn't withhold his son. Think about it. God provides for salvation. And besides these great benefits of, of salvation, I want to share three other benefits that we can know as, as we understand who God is as our provider. The first is contentment. When we know God is Jehovah Jireh, we're content. Philippians 4, 12 through 13. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. This is Paul writing these things. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. Verse 13. And I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And by the way, we often quote Philippians 4, 13, and, and, and we mean it to, in other circumstances, in other contexts. And certainly scripturally speaking, it's true, but God gives us the strength to be able to do all things through him. But the reality of it is, what's the context of this passage? It's contentment. It's contentment. And by the way, I don't know how you're wired, but contentment is a hard thing for me sometimes. I'm just being honest with you, church family. And it takes the Lord's strength for me to be content in all things. To be content when things seem to be going a little haywire. I don't have time to get into it much, but our youngest son, when he, when, uh, before he was born, tests came back and they didn't come back too well. And uh, we thought that, that he may not even be able to make it. And the doctor actually encouraged us to abort him. And we refused because of our belief in life. By the way, he's a, he's a young man who will be in service next service, serving the Lord in Indiana Wesleyan, studying to go into the ministry, full-time Christian vocation. The doctor said, we don't know what's going to happen here. And I didn't know what was going to happen here, but I knew who was in control of it. Amen? Second benefit. When we know God is Jehovah Jireh, we get peace. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything. By the way, that's a big statement, huh, church? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. It's interesting. There's times where I've sensed that divine peace in my life, and I'll have people say to me, how can you have peace in that situation? And I'll say, well, I'll tell you what, it's beyond understanding. <laughs> it's hard to explain. Ever been there? It's from God. But understand that the mindset that it takes for the Lord to do this work in us is to have a thankful heart. Isn't that what it says? Do you have to be anxious about anything, but in everything what? 
through prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, make requests known to God. What's that mean? When we understand him as Jehovah Jireh, when we trust who he is, he does something amazing. He even gives us peace in situations that people say, you should have peace. And we say, well, yeah, we, we should have peace because he's God. He's provider. He's in control. You might not see the answer. Be honest, I don't see the answer, but I know who has it. Third, there's so many benefits, but this one I could not throw in. When we know God is Jehovah Jireh, we can be on mission. We can be mission focused. Matthew 6, 31 through 33. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and all his, in his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What's that, what's that mean? It, it means don't worry about the stuff of earth. Don't be so consumed with the worry of stuff of earth that, that focus on God. Make that your mission, and he'll lead you and guide you in these other things. He'll lead you and guide you in these other things. God is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. I came across this account of Chandler Moore. He's a vocalist who, who was part of the recording of the song Jireh. Maybe you've heard it. If you had it, you're going to because we're closing service with it. It's a powerful song. But I didn't know this story. Four days before recording the song, his apartment at 4 a.m. caught on fire. He was supposed to be in the apartment that morning. In fact, he wasn't supposed to fly out until 8 a.m. that morning. However, he changed his, his ticket so that he could get there early so he could attend a church service before he recorded. Think about that. He explains this could have gone another way. Point is, I'm alive. <laughs> now understand this. He lost 98% of his possessions in that fire. 98% of his material possessions. How many think that was probably frustrating? However, he declares, I have life. The Lord is so kind. In this world, Jesus said, there's difficulties. There's heartache. And we as a church don't downplay those things. He lost everything materially he had, 98% of it. And yet his perspective, his perspective made all the difference. I have life. The Lord is kind. Materially more, lost basically everything. But because he knows God as provider, as Jehovah Jireh, he can praise God with his whole heart. Abraham, even in the midst of the challenge, could have faith in God because he knew God was the provider. Isaac could allow himself to be laid on the, on the altar because he knew God was provider. And he could trust in who God is. And, and let me tell you something, challenge after challenge after challenge in my life, when I've just allowed myself to surrender to him and just see him for who he is, he's proven himself to be faithful time after time after time. God is true to his word. When our Lord's miraculous kindness and provisions are on display as it is in Moore's life or in Abraham's life or in my life and yours, we can't help but be thankful for the life he's provided and sustains in us. So I ask you this morning, what does knowing God as Jehovah Jireh do for you? What does knowing God as Jehovah Jireh do for you? 
Have you received Christ as Lord and Savior? You surrendered to him, allowing him to lead you in his wisdom down his divine destiny for you. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for your life. Doesn't matter what the world says. Doesn't matter what you've said to yourself. God says you're a precious child and he has a plan for your life. It may seem like the plans right now aren't going the way you want them to go. You're walking up the mountain. Things are challenging, but God's providing something on the other side of the mountain for you. It may not be the script that you would write for yourself, but if God's written the script, it's the perfect script. Not just so you'll be blessed, but so that you'll be able to bless others. As we sing this song, as we listen to this song, as we meditate on this song, as we worship through this song, would you let it be the prayer of your heart? If you've yet to receive Christ, why not this morning? If you're going through a challenge and you're saying, I'm just having a hard time trusting God, join the club, come to him with honesty and say, Lord, I'm having a hard time trusting you. Give me what I need to trust you. You know what? He's true to his word. Amen, church? Sometimes the greatest prayer we can pray is, Lord, I don't feel willing. Make me willing. (laughs) Wherever you are today, whatever that next step God's calling you to take, number one, won't you take it with him? Number two, won't you allow us as a church family to come alongside you? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for such a powerful account from your word. It's so easy to read an account that happened thousands of years ago and not just allow ourselves to be distant from this account in time, but also distant in the reality of what Abraham and Isaac went through. I can't imagine being given such a test. But to be given such a test and to trust in you, what an example. Abraham was just a man, but he was a man who trusted in you. And because he trusted in you, not only did you bless him to bless others, but you did create within him a nation that would bless the world. For from that nation came our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you so much for this example an example we can follow, an example we can apply to our lives, an example that can encourage us this morning, can encourage us to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, realizing the profound love that you have for us, that you gave your one and only Son to die on the cross for our sins, to to be resurrected for our salvation. That you're not a distant God, that you're close to us, that you're with us, that you have a divine plan for us. So no matter what we're going through, may we be able to proclaim, you are our Jehovah Jireh. You're the God who provides. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord God. We praise your holy name. We thank you for your love. Amen.